My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Again, you Menadites, this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater bringing you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. I'm so pleased you're here and quite excited to share today's topic with you. But first, let's give some shout outs to some new places where we have some new listeners. California? Man, oh man, did you start enjoying the show. Looks like some sort of explosion of interest happened there. And speaking of which, hey, I'd be very much interested to hear how that happened. So feel free to write me at trident at tridenttheater.com. It's my email address. Or if you're not following them already, maybe you should, shoot me a DM on the Instagram accounts for Euripides Humanities or for Trident Theater. I'd be very interested. Let me know how you found us. Also, Earning the Distance Listener Award for this episode, hello, Brazil. Thanks for picking us up. And as I've mentioned before, and this goes for you too, California, if either of you would like me to appear in person for a live episode, which you can listen to later and see if you can pick up your laughter, (laughs) I'm all ears. So let's have a chat. Speaking of a chat. I've been sitting on pins and needles to share this story with you, my Eumenidites. Oh my God. I heard about this from another podcast and it gave me a reason to do a deeper dive into Roman theater, which I've been wanting to do for a long time. My guest is a fan and former guest on the show, my son, Ethan. As Ethan and I discuss early on in this episode, we had just attended a version of a Shakespearean comedy the night before we recorded, so comedy was right at the forefront of his thought. That's particularly appropriate, because while tragedies were written and studied in ancient Rome, we also know that Romans really enjoyed comedies, and more Roman comedies have survived to present day than tragedies. But nonetheless... This allowed Ethan and I to explore the nature of comedy and thus humor in ancient Rome and the particular and fairly direct application of that sense of humor during that time. So without further ado, here is today's episode, Funeral Clowns. the show you've been on a few times before this is i think your third time on but uh i'm just getting these people uh asking me over and over again because they have such a good time doing this uh let me be on the show again and you were one so (laughs) welcome back 
But you and I just had a fun theatrical experience just last night. You came to me earlier this week and said, Dad, my friends are all in a play together. Let's let's go see it. And so uh, what did we go see? A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, one of William Shakespeare's biggest comedies. So this one was kind of interesting because one of your favorite musicals is Into the Woods. There's a really strong theme in that about... Like, something in the woods makes these people, like, change their lives somehow. And do you think that that fell true for Midsummer Night's Dream as well? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. In what way? It kind of, like, changed their personality because Hmm. all these fairies were doing stuff to people, but most of it didn't work. The people were just finding themselves in the woods. Right, right. And you know what's funny about that? uh, As I was watching it last night, I did a production of this uh, for Shakespeare in the Park in Seattle about 17 years ago. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I played the character Demetrius. So he's one of the four young lovers who all all go into the woods and they're trying to figure out, okay, which girl do I like? Which boy do I like? Whatever. Uh, And Demetrius gets the love potion sprinkled in his eyes by Puck and Oberon, right? I'm pretty sure it was Oberon who did Okay, that. yep, okay, yep. Because one of your very good friends played Oberon, so yeah, you, you yeah, know where that person yeah. was at all times. But my point being, at the end of the play, okay, we're going to fix everything. Demetrius ended up not getting the magic taken off. <sighs> <laughs> So really, his intent was to go into the woods and fall in love with Hermia, and he came out falling in love with Helena because of magic. (laughs) It's like she wanted to, and then like for 30 seconds, she's like, Mm -hmm. I see what you're doing here, and no. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's funny, like at the end of that, you have two characters who've gone through it, they've put, put themselves to the test, and then all is set right. Except for Demetrius. And he marries Helen, or Helena at the end of it. Fair. Right? A <laughs> little bit of trickery going on, but you know, that's, that's, that's pretty standard for a Shakespearean comedy. Let's have weddings at the end and all is happy. But beyond that, Ethan, what about Midsummer Night's Dream did you enjoy? This is your first time seeing it. And, and it was, we just talked about this. It, it, it was kind of a cool thing. There's an, a teacher at your junior high that saw a need to help kids understand Shakespeare. And so she abridged this, which means cut parts out to... But it's it's still told a full story, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. But what did you like about it? I, I kind of liked how they rewrote the script. And it, it was a fun adaptation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to what other people think what this should be. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this is a fun show to play with gender roles. Because, I mean, frankly, in our little town, we have a lot more women who come out for theater and men. And I think that happens in a lot of places. And so one of your very good friends played Oberon, king of fairies, but, you know, basically identifies as a female, right? Mm -hmm. So, but had that regality, had that poise, had that mysterious quality about them that made them appropriate for the King of Fairies. And, you know, oftentimes you'll see Robin Goodfellow, who's Puck, played by either gender or by somebody who is non-binary, which just, I think that's fascinating. What do you think about that? I I, I would say that, like, 
either gender fits the role perfectly. Oh, okay. Because, like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Isn't that interesting? Like, except for, like, Oberon, because king king they put right. a label on him right 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 but like i said last night the one we saw was a character played by a female but just had that quality had that kingly air but cool so here's something I, i'm gonna come back to this later um but in shakespearean comedy we often have you know it's it's um kind of referencing older stuff you know as we go through the renaissance you're talking about a rebirth of what they call classical ideals, which are, when you talk about classical in that definition, you're talking about ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And as I said, what does a Shakespearean comedy usually end with? A wedding. A wedding. Oh boy. Everybody's happy, right? Because every, like everything worked out. <laughs> uh, anyway. No. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and talk about something that in our modern world might not always be the result of a happy ending but i'm i, I i'm not going to i'm not going to cast a pall over this this episode today but i will ask you this ethan i, I do like to uh, start my shows with the question of my guest and uh, what i'll ask you is oh lord yeah <laughs> when you think of funerals what do you think might be appropriate things to see or experience at a funeral Mostly a more of a depressive state of yeah. all the people, like all black to like black, show yep. no emotion mm -hmm. through that. Like also like in most like pop culture, mm -hmm. like it, if there's a funeral, there's like usually rain because <laughs> that that makes that makes you think of like d a depressive state more right. than. Uh, <sighs> In that scenario, oh, it's yeah. not exactly a happy ending. You know what? I saw a meme the other day that said something like, when I die, I'm going to hire a person to just be in all black and, and, and carry an umbrella and stand like 100 yards away from where I'm being buried so everybody thinks I had something really secretive going on. I mean, that's mostly true. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's, like, almost uh, any movie with, like, a dead person. There's just the, that one person the, over like, there. Everybody's going, what are they doing here? Did they know Frank? Did they Frank had anything really secret going on? It's just, like, some, like, <laughs> agent guy. It's an agent. Like, and they got the big sunglasses so you can't see their eyes. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's okay. like in the Matrix where it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Was Frank in the Matrix? I don't know. Okay, anyway. Mr. So, Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Okay, so for today's story, though, uh, we're going to go back in history, and I kind of hinted at it just a oh, second no. ago. Oh, no, you're going to love this. You're going to love this, because you've been learning a lot about history in, in, in your uh, history class in school, and so you might actually know some of the... No, uh, some of this might be familiar to you, okay? Yes. So we're going to go all the way back to ancient Rome <gasps> and find out what was considered humorous particularly in the performing arts. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. Okay. So, quite a change from the question I asked about funerals, but we're going to find out what was humorous, okay? okay? So, comedy in ancient Rome developed away from what we now know as new comedy from ancient Greece and became something new. Greek new comedy evolved away from Greek old comedy with lots of its very crude humor that I probably shouldn't mention here because we're trying to be a PG-13 audience, uh, but it involved lots of bodily functions and hinting at bedroom antics. 
Um, <laughs> Uncomfortable yet? I'm talking about this with my dad. Okay. So we're getting away from old comedy. We're talking about new comedy. What's the difference? Okay, I'm going to tell you. New comedy actually strove to be a lot more like real life in a way, but Greek audiences eh, tended to find it a little bit more boring and teachy. Okay. And so that's where reality shows come from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I still laugh at reality shows. <laughs> We're going to put Theseus and his wife, Eugenia, on stage and they're going to cook a meal. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Okay, but new comedy was the closest thing that Romans had to work with, and they thought an upgrade would be appropriate. Roman historian Livy, L-I-V-Y, I think it was like Livius Andronicus or something like that, but they shortened it to Livy. Livy wrote that Roman comedy developed from five different elements. Water, earth, no air, fire. <laughs> <laughs> the Romans invented Captain Planet. No. No. All right. So here are the five things. Number one, flute music accompanying public dancing. So you see people in, in, in public, and the only music they have is flute music. And people dancing. Just isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Okay, here we go. Second one, flute music accompanying public dancing, which also included obscene skits that were made up on the spot. So it's pretty much just improv. It's, it's naughty improv. Um, oh, Number three, okay. flute music accompanying public dancing, <laughs> but in something of a long form uh, uh, story made up of many shorter dances and, and stories. Okay? So it was still kind of in public. Like if you're walking downtown and somebody just starts dancing to a flute, you're going to be like, well, okay, I guess I'll sit and watch this. And then they eventually started telling stories with their dance and stuff like that. Here's the fourth one actual comedies written with some dialogue that made up kind of a plot, but the plays included some lyric poetry that was meant to be spoken rather than sung. Oh, so if someone just speaks, it's just like, and we're going to the bar. Oh, wait, I have that backwards, actually. Yes, no, it is. And you were supposed like... to sing it rather than speak it. So it'd be like you have dancers out there and then they talk a little bit and then you're a big fan of Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh, uh, they just uh, belt into an Irish drinking song. Oh, There you go. Perfect. And the last one, number five. More comedies like I just described in the last point, but with another shorter comedy added to the end. So it's kind of like Midsummer Night's Dream. You watch this whole play, and then they do a short, funny play at the end. And oh my gosh. I am a wall. Two of my, yes, two of my favorite characters in that play are the, the guy who has to play the wall, and he has lines as the wall. I am a wall. And then another one of your friends uh, was the person holding the lantern, and basically had to say, I'm just here to tell you that the lantern is the moon. But everybody interrupts this person and... Just like... And, oh, yeah. But, but, but this is my job. Please okay. don't tell me what to do with this. Right? It's just my job. Okay, hold on to that feeling. We're going to talk about it later. Okay, so oversimplifying things just a bit. From those five elements, Roman theater developed as a determined art form and it went through several steps to become something of a standardized practice. And I'll hit on some of the highlights, which I think are pretty cool. I've spoken about it before on this show, but I was once a guest on the podcast Hightailing Through History. And for my appearance on that show, 
I talked about popular entertainment in ancient Rome. Now, when I say popular entertainment today, we'll think about things like movies or video games or, you know. Are might... you not entertained? Oh, you are getting right where I'm headed. Man, you are smelling what I'm stepping in. Okay. So today, though, we might think about other things like sporting events or events we can do with friends and family, like meeting up for game nights or visiting a public park or pool, right? Those are, those are popular entertainment things, right? However, unlike ancient Greece, theater was not as prevalent in the lives of the Romans. It was still there, and you could go do it. But there were a number of factors that contributed to theater not being as important, and here are two that I think stick out. Rome was something of a society that, when it conquered new lands, because you've heard of that, right? Like, Rome expanded, and it went kind of all over the European continent, kind of into Asia, a little bit into Africa, right? You've heard of that? Yeah, okay. So when it spread out and conquered new lands, Rome did its best to adapt the cultures of these new lands into existing Roman culture. Basically, like, once it would conquer a place, they would have a guy come in and go, okay, so now that you're part of Rome, we just want to figure out what you guys like to do here. Like, if they were to come and conquer Wyoming, they could say, well, our big event every year is a rodeo, right? And then the, the Romans would go, oh, cool, that sounds great. I guess we do rodeo now. They're just like, hey, thanks, that's ours now. Oh. Yeah, exactly, that's ours now, and we're going to call it the Roman rodeo. It's still, you guys get still get to do it, but we call it the Roman rodeo. Does that sound fun? Great. But that's okay. mine now. Uh-huh, it's mine now. Okay, <laughs> so this was happening all over Rome when they'd moved to new places. And so there was a lot of new stuff to do because it would all be brought back central to Rome and spread out through the, through the empire. And so the list of things to do became bigger and bigger as Rome conquered more lands, particularly when it comes to entertainment. Okay? It was just like, hey, Greece, you like your gods? They're mine now. Oh, they're mine now. <laughs> oh, you like Zeus? We're going to call him Jupiter, okay? It's the same, <laughs> same kind of thing, but now it's a Roman name. I hope that's okay. He's mine now. He's mine now. <laughs> Actually, I don't hope it's okay. We're just going to do that, and you're going to be okay with it. Uh, you, if you, And if you mm -hmm. don't agree with me, you can just we'll leave. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. So in, here's the second point, though. Okay, so you, on one hand, you have a lot of new things to do. And the second part is in Greece, theater was part of religious service. So it wasn't just for entertainment, although theater did serve both purposes. And people went often for both purposes. Like they wanted to go and be entertained, but they also wanted to pay their respect to their gods, right? In Rome... There were plenty of other opportunities for people to fulfill their spiritual needs and pay respect to the gods, and they didn't need to go to theater to do so. So there were plenty of other festivals or tournaments or feasts and all that stuff to honor new gods that had now been part of the Roman pantheon. Frankly, there was just simply plenty of stuff to do. What do you got? When you said you can go be entertained and be there for religious reasons, yeah. I just think of like a church with like a coliseum or something. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that was a huge thing. Like gladiators fighting in the middle, just like, uh -huh. and just like, and over <laughs> here is our donation box. <laughs> Here's our donation. <laughs> we'll pass around the plate. Now let's just kick back and watch some people hack each other up. Speaking of that, when I talk about Roman popular entertainment, what comes to mind for you? Combat. Combat. Are you not entertained? So there are several things that I can think of, and you tell me if you've heard of this. Gladiators. We just talked about that. Okay. How about chariot races? 
I've heard of those. Oh man, big deal, big I love deal chariots. in Rome, right? Right? Ooh, how about this ritual sacrifice? Uh, yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> they uh, sacrifice their children. Oh uh, well, no, not necessarily. Uh, that might have been a little bit more in Greece, but uh, no, ritual sacrifice was done in public spaces. So you have enemies of the state. They wouldn't just put them in jail. You could go to the Colosseum and watch people who, they're like, okay, enemy of the state, we're going to give you this uh, pointed stick and you're going to fight seven lions. Okay, have fun. Okay, so you have all those options. You have gladiator stuff, you have chariot races, you have ritual sacrifice, and maybe sometimes theater. (laughs) There are a lot of stories that I read researching this of people going to theater, but leaving in the middle of it because other events were starting. So that would be like us going to Midsummer Night's Dream last night, and then halfway through, uh, I go, oh, hey, we got to go. The monster truck rally is starting. Who would want to go to a monster truck? They were like, I think I know how this one ends, but I want to see Truckasaurus. Truckasaurus um, yeah, Rex. Yeah, I mean, honestly, honestly, Ethan, what would you rather go see? Would you rather go see a play, or would you rather go see a bear fighting a rhino? I'd probably want to go to the bear fighting a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know which one is going to win. The rhino. You think the rhino's going to win? Okay, yeah, well, because we'd have to go and see, wouldn't we? I mean, a bear would it just get stabbed because its skin is see, not that right? thick. And they got the big horn. Yeah, okay, I see where you're going. And here. the rhino is well, thick I mean, skin. Yeah, well, think about that. If a bear stands and is like, ah, I'm showing my might. Rhino's just like, yeah. cool, thanks for showing me your belly. Okay, <laughs> so... Remember those religious services in Rome I was mentioning a moment ago? Yeah. Well, sometimes, kind of like you were suggesting, they were accompanied by games. So you might go to a religious service and then they go, and to further our entertainment for the day, we're going to go watch a whole bunch of sweaty men fight each other and chop each other up. Okay? There was one such festival honoring the Roman god Jupiter. It was called the Ludi Romani, which translated from Latin and English means the Roman games. At one point during Rome's history, a serious plague fell over the the empire, and a lot of people died. To bring people out of their collective dreariness over the plague, theater was added to the Ludi Romani to accompany the games in 364 BCE. Remember when I said before that theater wasn't too much of a practice in ancient Rome? Well, consider the winds about to change. Soon after, because theater was enjoyed so much of the games, the art form soon developed into a profession. So it wasn't just we're hiring people to just come play these parts or forcing our slaves to come play these parts because that was usually how that happened. And guilds were formed. So it was companies. So this means that acting and doing theater work was actually considered a profession in ancient Rome. Wow, they I they know, just right? figured that out? They just figured it out. They're like, no. You mean people can get paid for this? Okay. No, they weren't just being slaves right. for their masters? Right, exactly. Now, while both tragedy and comedy were developed based on ancient Greek models and existing documents, it was comedy in Rome that became more popular. Much more popular, in fact. So even after that plague had passed, Romans took an awful lot of delight in making fun of the way things were going. Now let's think about what makes things funny today. One of my favorite sayings about comedy, particularly in theater, comes from comedian Mel Brooks. You know, yogurt from Spaceballs. 
Okay. Spaceballs merchandise. You got it. Okay. So Mel Brooks created that movie. He created Robin Hood Men in Tights, uh, History of the World, oh. uh, Young Frankenstein. Really great comedian and somebody who's like steeped in the idea of what makes things funny. So he had a sketch called The 1,000 Year Old Man in which he would come and tell people what he learned over his thousand year life. Here's what he said about tragedy and comedy. You ready? Tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall in an open manhole and die. Oh. <laughs> in comedy, unforeseen circumstances come up all the time in which we see the characters desperately trying to reverse any potential pain to them that may be caused. But the circumstances almost never go in the character's favor, which is why it's funny to us. It's pain happening to someone else while we get to sit comfortably and watch it. Okay. <laughs> All right, here, an example. Take Looney Tunes cartoons, especially the ones that feature Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. Oh. Okay? So you have a character who is just desperately hungry, right? And trying to catch food. And the other one that is incredibly fast, but enjoys the fact that he can cause this pain to somebody else. Roadrunner is a serious jerk sometimes. Like, the the Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner story is just a freak show. It is kind of a freak show, but we love watching them. We love it because we're watching the the world completely betray one of the characters. Here's, here's, a, here's something about those cartoons that is always funny to me. I can think of one time where... Wiley Coyote was able to be as fast as the Roadrunner. And there's that cloud of dust that is behind the Roadrunner all the time, right? So at one point, Wiley Coyote realizes that he's stuck in the dust cloud and he's looking around and he feels below his feet and there's nothing below his feet. Do you remember the one I'm talking about now? Yeah. Right? Where and he the gets the speed yeah. shoes with like the rockets right? on the back. Yeah. Which, he, if there's rockets on the back of your shoes, you would be flipping right. like yeah. everywhere. Right. Just like backflip. But we suspend our disbelief because we want to see how that goes, right? There's Wiley Coyote. He's standing in the dust cloud. There's Roadrunner right in front of him. And then you see the dust cloud kind of dissipate and there's nothing under Wiley Coyote while... The Roadrunner is standing perfectly on like this long precipice on the other side of a canyon, right? Gravity has completely betrayed Wile E. Coyote until he realizes that gravity is still in effect. And we laugh like crazy when he just goes and falls out of the sky. And then he just puts up a sign that says, uh-oh. Uh-oh, or help, or ack, whatever. So you kind of get the concept, watching somebody else go through something that they're desperately trying to control and not... Here's another one. Like, I was thinking of this. Think of any, like, short sketch or anything where somebody's got to make sure a baby stays asleep. But there's, like, a car out front that is now laying on its horn because the guy in front of him won't move at the stop sign. Or an alarm clock goes off. Or all of a sudden, in some of these cartoons, like, a, a, a full train goes through the living room and somehow the baby stays asleep, right? But we're all going, Don't wake the baby! Right? Or don't kill the baby. Don't kill the baby train going <laughs> like, through the living no, room. No, it's just like <laughs> that scene from Roger Rabbit. Yeah, right? It's just like where he's dangling on knives. Yeah, right above <laughs> knives. And you're like, no! 
just and like, you know, it's going to be why? Fun. Why would that happen? Right. Exactly. Okay. So anyway, you kind of get the concept of, of, of comedy in ancient Rome, right? So let's get back to ancient Rome. Now, even though patrons loved these stories that the actors told, actors did not have very high esteem in Roman society, despite being considered professional. I did hear of a couple like comedians, like who would just be hired to play parts and have dialogue against each other. They got a little bit, but not too many did. They weren't allowed to serve in the military. They weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to be citizens. Oh, check this out. Plus, if an audience went to a performance and disapproved of it, the actors could face formal punishment up to and including death. <laughs> They're just like... One person doesn't like it, and it's just like, and off with their heads! Off with their heads! But think about that. Like, we've had that happen today where a comedian might tell a joke and people get offended. And then people are like, I don't want to listen to that person ever again. Now, I'm not necessarily defending what the comedian said to get everybody upset, but it has happened where people are like, nope. You don't get any more of our attention. And they may have earned that. They may have not. You know, it, I, th I think it's kind of a case-by-case -case thing, but I get it. However, there were some playwrights who got away with political commentary. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for this? Now Check we're this going down politics. A little bit. A little bit. But we're going down ancient Roman politics, so it's not today. Okay, check this out. One such playwright was Seneca, from whom we have several existing plays. One play written by Seneca in 54 CE that was widely celebrated, but also the cause of some controversy was his play. I think I'm pronouncing this right, but it has a subtitle that will be a better title, okay? The play is called The Apocalocentosis, but the subtitle is The Pumpkinification of Claudius. Someone turned into a pumpkin? You're going to see. It's not exactly that, but it's, it's more like... We are getting to make fun of this Claudius. Now, do you, do you, does the name Claudius ring a bell to you at all? Nope. So you see, Claudius was an emperor. And right before Seneca wrote this play, he had just been murdered. Okay. Murder mystery time. Uh, well, a little okay. bit. More. Roll, roll the two dice. <laughs> okay. We're not playing Clue. Come on. So, while you'd think that Rome would be in a period of mourning over their assassinated liege, it turns out that they appreciated some jokes at his expense, especially now that he was dead. Oh. Okay? Turns out Claudius was seen as both weak physically and mentally, partly because he had something of a speech impediment. And, and while I don't mean to belittle anyone for circumstances that they're born with, it must be understood that in Roman times, these were seen, uh, seen as sources of ridicule. So, you know, if you were born too short or, you know, if you had any other kind of things that you were born with that you can't really help, Romans were like, ha ha, well, you're not a perfect specimen. Ha 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 ha, point finger and laugh. In addition to that, Claudius had something of a preference for, as you just mentioned, it's kind of funny you brought that up, had a preference for dice games and betting. So much so that it is rumored he had an apparatus installed in his carriage so that he could play undisturbed while the carriage was in motion. <laughs> Can't stop playing long enough to take a trip. In any case, Seneca made fun of all these traits in his play, the pumpkinification of Claudius. And the end result was that the audiences seemed to enjoy seeing their former ruler as human, a little more like them rather than the nearly godlike and perfect figures that sometimes emperors felt they were. They could see their emperor in a light where 
They might trip on a rug and be human. They might accidentally burp in public or something like that. So things that all humans do. But sometimes we don't see our rulers, our, you know, the people at the head of the government in that kind of light. We want to see them in a very respectful light, I suppose. Or maybe not in today's times. But Seneca got away with that in his play. You know how he got away with that? I don't exactly okay. want to. So th- no, no, you're going to love this. So think about that. Somebody writes a play making fun of the last uh, last ruler, right? Now, some people might be really offended by that. Some people might not. The reason he got away with this is because the play was sponsored by Claudius's successor to the t- title of emperor. His adopted son, Nero... And Nero didn't really care for his adopted father all that much. <laughs> so he paid Seneca to write a play making fun of his dad. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Yeah, and people loved it. Like, why would he do that? Like, He didn't like his dad. If he's an orphan and he got adopted, uh-huh. he, would, he should be grateful. Here, let me put it in a little bit more perspective. Uh, have you heard of Nero? No. Uh, you've never heard of the story of Nero watching the city of Rome burn while he plays his violin? Just like the Titanic just going <laughs> down. <laughs> well, no. Uh, the, the theory, in Roman kitchens, they would make pots and pans out of lead. Lead is somewhat poisonous to humans. And in small doses can uh, start making people go... So the theory is that Nero allowed his city to burn... But I think this is something that Nero had going on for a while. I mean, adopted into the royal family and you're going to be the successor to the throne? Yeah, he didn't like my dad. I'm going to make fun of him in public. I know I've done this before, and I realize we're here at the intermission, but we haven't really talked about how this relates to funerals. I promise you, we're getting there. But, like I said in the intro, this gave me an excuse to really deep dive into Roman comedy, which I've wanted to do for a long time. And in order to understand how this humor is applied, we have to understand its origin. Hey, speaking of origins... I'd love to hear if you have any origin stories or topics you think Euripides Humanities should cover. There's a lot in the world of theater that is fascinating to discuss. And while I'm here too, I'd really appreciate for you to give the show a rating or review wherever you're listening. It really does help the show. But in any case, let's get back to this episode. Here's the ending of Funeral Clowns. So, that's all with formal theater, but I needed to tell you about that so you understood how Romans felt about comedy and about kind of making fun of things, you know? Um, and we'll talk about it here in a little bit. However, arguably, the most popular form of theater did not take place in pre-designated places or times. It actually took place wherever it wanted to. Oh, Lord. Oh, you're going to love this. This was known as mime drama. Oh, no. Oh, hold on. Let me explain. This is not like the mimes we know today, even though the meaning of the word comes from similar origin. Roman mimes did not wear white and black face paint. They didn't really have much on their face. Sometimes they might wear a mask or something, but usually it was just they were out there. Oh, and this is also something funny. When you think of a mime, do they talk? No. No. Roman mimes did. Okay. knew it. Yep. Okay. So check this out. The meaning of each word comes from the Greek root words mimus, M-I-M-U-S, mimus maybe, or mimesis. Uh, 
And both words basically mean to imitate or to mimic. And in certain definitions, each word refers specifically to the role of an actor or to the act of performing a story in front of an audience. Okay, so representing real life, even though that isn't your real life right then. Like your friends last night were not fairies. They were not in ancient Greece. It was just they were there, right? They were telling you a story and you saw your friends afterwards and they were still your friends, right? Yeah, it's so. not like they turned in like Godzilla or something. <laughs> <laughs> I played Godzilla seven times at the and New York Shakespeare Festival. And now I am Festival. a lizard. Yeah, now I'm a lizard. It just <laughs> happens. Here are some basic characteristics of mime drama. Usually it was improvised on the spot, but often a mime would have short sketches or stories that could be adapted to any current situation. So it'd be like, I'm going to tell the story of Little Red Riding Hood, but I might include things that are familiar to this region or area. So you know, I'll use the silly example again. Uh, if, um, if a Roman mime would come to Sheridan, they go, what do you guys do here? They'd say, uh, Little Red Riding Hood uh, at the rodeo. Okay, so it'd be like, we have a rodeo, and the mime would go, oh, okay, so we'll make, uh, we'll make uh, the, the Big Bad Wolf the Big Bad Bull, and uh, Little Red Riding Hood has to uh, beat the bull to grandmother's house in eight <laughs> seconds. Okay? <laughs> That's like 50 miles. I know, exactly. Just like, mm-hmm. speed run this story. Speed run the speed story. Speed run it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so improvised, but sometimes could include topical stuff that was local to a region usually the play was performed by a single actor so just one person but sometimes they traveled in troops and check this out i'll take this uh, i'll take a little sidebar here women were actually allowed to be performing mimes in ancient rome you know the next time women were allowed on stage in the western world i think it was 1660 Fair enough. <laughs> they weren't allowed not even in shakespeare's time okay but much more like fable tellers or the, the the technical term is fabulous, which were also popular at the time, a mime would perform a short play and be all the characters in it. So it's just like, oh, hi. Yeah. Oh, hi. Exactly. They're talking to themselves. Now that's chaos. It is absolute chaos. No set was required as the mime could usually tell a story without it or could tell a story so well that the audience could imagine the characters the mime would play in the setting suggested. But here's probably the most interesting thing about this mime drama. I'm going to compare it to modern-day sketch comedy or stand-up, okay? So when I say that, you're familiar with Monty Python in Saturday Night Live, right? Sometimes those sketches we might not understand, especially Monty Python, because it was talking about very specifically 1960s and 1970s British current events. But sometimes they're still kind of classic and can meet the test of time. We love the Holy Grail, right? The Holy Hand Grenade. We love it. Yes, there you are, making the... Uh, yes, good boy. Okay, you're going to be behind me. I'll be Arthur King. Of okay. <laughs> and you you and your brother have been getting into Saturday Night Live sketches. Oftentimes, they have people on there who they're required to be able to do certain impressions. They have a guy on there right now doing an amazing Donald Trump impression. But anybody who comes into the political spotlight, they're like, okay, you kind of look like him or you kind of sound like him. We're going to put you in some makeup and you're going to be this character that is in current events right now. You know, right now, here, here, I'm going to I'm gonna take just a little political slant here for just a second. If you were to make fun of a current event today, and here we are in April 2023, 
You might make fun of all these people who are getting really offended by a rainbow on a Bud Light can. I completely forgot about that. Right? Okay. Because like, it's so silly. We're just like, I'm just everyone, like, Ugh. just let the Bud Light be gay. <laughs> or just enjoy it. It's, it just is the same beer and the can has a different design on it for a little bit. People are losing their minds over it. Just like, I don't want my beer to be gay. That's exactly what they're thinking. And isn't that ridiculous? Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so this is kind of... The type of humor that a Roman mime might do. A mime might ask the sponsor, the person who's paid him to do the work, what to do plays about. But they would all be about current events and often making fun of those current events. So I guess you could consider a Roman mime to be a for-hire stand-up comedian and impressionist and sketch artist whose show would be presented to anyone walking by. And a clever mime would know just how far to take the humor in order to not get his head lopped off. <laughs> it's just like, this is taken too far. Now off with your head with we me. We are plenty offended by the fact that you enjoy a rainbow on your beer cans. Uh, we're going to have to take your hands for this. Sorry. <laughs> um, just like, I'm sorry. You kind of have a little bit of a political hat. Um, We're going to need your legs. I'm going to just go ahead and cut off your scalp so you can't wear a hat. Um, <laughs> okay, so, Ethan... This brings me around to the question I asked you at the beginning of the episode. Oh, what do you think would be appropriate at a funeral? Do you have any idea where I'm going here? Uh, the, <laughs> you... It's really inappropriate stuff at funerals. It might be. Well, not like as in that inappropriate, yeah. but like emotionally inappropriate. Emotionally. So you might think that... They're a... going to try to make fun of the person who died. Oh boy, so you think a, like a clown at a funeral might be inappropriate. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. It Except turns for out... the Joker. He, anywhere the, oh, the Joker is fine. The Joker's fine. Yeah. The Joker's fine. You're fine. You're a celebrity status at this point, regardless of the fact that you might kill several of us by the time we're done. Um, <laughs> it turns out, generally speaking, Romans had no problems with this. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but the people are so depressed. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a good point. Stick with that point because I'm going to I'm going to hang on to that for just a second. There's actually some really good reasons why this actually took place, okay? Ancient records report that a type of mime, a special type of mime known as an arch mime or technically in Latin as I'm going to call it through the rest of the episode, an archimimus would be hired to provide entertainment during a period of mourning for a Roman citizen or even during a funeral procession. Okay? So what type of entertainment? Ethan, have you ever heard of a roast? Oh, Lord. Do you know what a roast is? It's kind of like you make a joke about someone. Yeah. And they're like, in the room. They're but, in the room. But it's about different things. It's about things that are personal to them, but they aren't going to take too much offense to it unless you go too far. So... Here, I'll take you, and I'm not trying to offend you or anything, but you are really seriously into Dungeons & Dragons right now, okay? I gotta say, it was very fun to take you to the movie recently, and you wanted to surprise all of your friends by actually dressing in cosplay, which yeah. you did, and it was awesome. Nobody else did, though. That might be something that, at a roast of you, they could make fun of. 
And you would laugh at that because you're like, yeah, I totally did that. It was fine. It was what I did. Like, and that what is what makes me unique. Uh huh. It from is everyone makes, yes. else. It's because I actually have taste, <laughs> and the other people can just shut up. Well, hold on, hold on. Now you're getting offended. What if I were to say something like, "He's already planning his graduation. He'll be in uh, a full uh, Duchess outfit with the pointy hat. Uh, it's going to be period authentic, and then for his wedding." Uh, full knight's armor, paladin. He'll have a great. Okay, see there you are. You're laughing at it, right? Okay, I'm making because fun of just like the image of that. <laughs> just like. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so you're getting the idea of a roast. So an archimimus, more technically defined as something of a master actor or the leader of a troop. What about the dinosaur? No, <laughs> it does sound like a dinosaur. It is actually would, a dinosaur. We need a dinosaur. They're extinct. We have it in the budget. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so an Archimimus would be hired to roast a newly deceased citizen as a way of respectfully remembering the dead and all their foibles, not just to keep noticing their nobler accomplishments like you might hear at a funeral, right? We could say things like, you know, this man was very generous with his time and his money. He gave a lot of money to uh, local organizations to help people keep fed. But when you got in his house and you asked him for five bucks to go to the movie, it was like pulling teeth. <laughs> okay. Now, in the early days of the practice, the Archimimus would be hired to perform in front of an audience in a designated theater space. So like, you know, a place you'd usually go and, and you would just take your time out of your day to go and hear funny things about that person. But eventually, someone got the idea to take the show on the road. Despite the fact that Roman theaters could ostensibly seat thousands of spectators, it was determined that the Archimimus might be more effective if it would follow the funeral procession through the streets. So he's just, like, on the back of a horse doing all this, like... Like act, acting, just like in the yep. back of a cart or yep. something. Yep, just... making fun of the person who is on the cart in their casket going to their final resting place. <laughs> You're smiling. You're laughing. Okay, yeah. good. Now, in ancient Rome, usually a body was buried or cremated or kept in a mausoleum. But on the day it was to be taken to its final resting place, a single mime, or a troop of mimes, accompanied the procession, consistently mocking the newly deceased, but generally in ways that people watching the procession would find funny. After all, this was a society that loved watching the upending of circumstances of the surrounding world. Of course they were going to have a moderate sense of humor about someone who had recently passed. The centerpiece other than the body being moved, of the whole entertainment spectacle was the Archimimus, who would often dress as the deceased person, talk like the deceased, and gesture like the deceased, all to hilarious effect for the citizens lining the streets to watch the procession. So here's one of the great examples of an, a recorded Archimimus joke. Emperor Vespasian was largely responsible for the completion of the Colosseum, which took a lot of effort and money to build and finish. However, unlike some emperors I could mention, Vespasian often voiced his concern for maintaining a budget for the project, often to the criticism of the citizens that he didn't want to spend enough to make the Colosseum the amazing spectacle we all now know it to be. When he died, 
and as can be expected for the funeral procession of the leader of a country, almost no expense was spared. So there was just beautiful decorations on everything, you know, all kinds of like flowers and stuff like that. Everything was in top condition and quite grandiose. The Archimimus who played Vespasian would gladly greet people as the magnanimous ruler and, you know, his hello, I am Vespasian, thank you for coming to my funeral, but then under his breath would sourly look at the onlooking crowd and ask, how much is all of this costing? Like, that's like a Joker line or something. <laughs> <It> absolutely is. <laughs> and accompanying all this were flute players, and did I mention just how much music accompanied formal theater in Rome? Yes, I did dancers around the procession and if that weren't enough oh my gosh some women were hired to be mourners who would actually walk with the procession and cry their eyes out and some of them were recorded to actually have been so upset that they tore their own hair out as though they were actually closely associated with the deceased completely racked with grief even though they had never met that person before in their life so you're paying to be depressed. Yes, you're paying people to be really upset. So like if a crowd was watching that and they saw a whole bunch of people being upset, doesn't that tell them, oh, maybe I should be upset about this? It is kind of a sad thing. But then you also have this guy going around and making fun of him at the same time. So it is a full experience of I'm feeling bad that this person is gone, but weren't they enjoyable in their life? It, it, and like the mourners are just like inside their heads just like, I wonder why all the people just called me a masochist. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> just tearing their own yeah, hair out. Like, oh, okay. I guess uh, I'm glad I didn't answer that ad. Now, there is a lot to be said here about social and financial status. The Vespasian joke was not far off the mark, as just about everyone who provided some sort of service for the funeral procession was paid for their service. Records indicate that the Archimimus for a funeral procession was often paid quite well. It turns out that the practice of upgrading a funeral procession to eventually include such a thing as an Archimimus was a gradual but expensive process, which means that usually only wealthy families could afford it. Oh no. Okay, you see where I'm going here? You see, before the funeral procession was devised with such pomp and circumstance, it used to be the standard practice that all bodies were cremated at night, right? So it was on a funeral pyre, they'd put the body on top of it, kind of like in Star Wars when they burn a Jedi or Darth Vader or something like that, right? Oh, sorry, spoilers. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was more of a spectacle because it was light and it was in the dark, so it had more of an effect on a person, right? But soon after, burial became another option. And this was, this was all after the body was put on display for loved ones to pay their respect. So it's just open casket, just taking to the next level. Kind of. I mean, if, if somebody, uh, if it was a situation where an open casket would make people uncomfortable, you know, they'd probably have a closed casket. But even this had, even this had implications dependent upon social and financial status. If the body was from an upper class family the body would be on display for eight days. If the Ugh. body was from a lower class family, the body would only be on display for one day. And if the family could not afford a procession, the body was often just buried without a coffin. Upper class families could generally afford a stone casket in which they would place their loved one. 
I don't, I don't. Why would you put them in the stone so you can, what, throw them in a river so they'll sink to the bottom? <laughs> no, it was meant to be like, it was, why would they do that? Why would a wealthy family put somebody in a casket rather than just put them in the ground like a poor person? Because they're rich and they're rich. There it is. There it is. They're yeah. just rich. Uh-huh. And while it may not have been a constant to have clowns or Archimimus as a luxury offering at a funeral throughout the rest of Western history, the manner in which they approach their humor has stayed something of a constant. Jesters in medieval times were able to make political commentary on current events directly to kings and queens. And meanwhile, today... Stand-up comics and sketch artists are able to take political satire to a wider audience through television and streaming options. They seem to equally enlighten and entertain as much as they do annoy. At least, that's what social media would have us believe. And Ethan, that's the story of Roman funeral clowns. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, uh, how to feel right now. Okay, well let me ask you this. How do you feel about comedy? I mean, like... I understand the concept mm -hmm. of, uh, like, I'm going to make fun of this person because I enjoyed them so much, mm -hmm. but I've never seen this person in my life. Oh, yeah. So you'd have to do your study. You'd have to learn about this person. I'll be honest with you. I have had the, it's kind of a dubious honor, but it's still an honor. I've had three people in my life close enough to me to where the bereaved have asked me to deliver their eulogy. And two of them were very close to me. One was my grandmother, one was uh, my dad. But another one was a former student of mine. And so I actually had to sit down and go talk to people and ask what was special about her. Because and you had no idea what... No, no. I mean, I knew what made her special to me, but there were so many other people out there who she had a different special relationship with. And so I, I wanted to honor that and I wanted to remember it and I didn't want to make it sad because in my opinion looking at that kind of stuff yes it's sad that the person is no longer here but how fortunate we were to have them in our lives right yeah you know what I mean and that I think is is overall the fun thing about these arch mimes they weren't they weren't trying to be mean or petty they were trying to point out things that were funny about the person it's more of a thing about not taking so much time to be sad that the person is gone but but pleased that they were in your life for a time and i think that's fascinating about rome even though most of the time roman comedy was poking fun at people and watching them uh, completely uh, fail yeah true right but it's still kind of it's taking that same idea of humor and just flipping it on the other side of the coin yeah yeah? Cool. Well, any last thoughts on that, Funeral Clowns? I mean, it is, like, kind of a funny idea if it's, like, set in modern times. Oh, my gosh. Like, having, like, an actual, like, circus clown <laughs> <laughs> at, but, like, a funeral just, like, okay. <laughs> So, this is something that I didn't have time to put into the episode, but uh, I, as I was researching this, it kept popping up. One, uh, the... I guess he's known as the father of modern clowning, okay? So you think of, like, a character in big baggy clothes, the bright red nose, some face paint, maybe a goofy hat or wig or something like that. Um, that person's name was Grimaldi. And when Grimaldi died, there was this whole cadre of clowns he had taught and inspired who came to his funeral in costume. 
to the point that I think it is an annual event in this one church. I want to say it's in England, but I can't remember, uh, where they still have a clown funeral every year. Not a funeral clown, but a clown funeral. Where <laughs> Can you just imagine that? And they're like, and now uh, Burpo the clown would like to come up and say a few words. And then Burpo oh, comes up and yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. They would come up and have the big sad paint on, and then take out a bicycle horn and squeeze it like a few times really sadly. No, or it's just like the squeaky nose. <laughs> and and like maybe have a rubber chicken and want to squeeze it, but be too upset to be able to. <laughs> And then they just put the chicken like uh-huh. underwater and yeah. it's just like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the other one that I saw that's interesting is, so you've got people who are serious fans of Star Wars and, you know, any other franchise you could name. There are people who have themed funerals now. So your procession, if you're a Star Wars fan, might be accompanied by a whole troop of stormtroopers. Or just like Chewbacca's just like walking through. (laughs) And he's crying. (laughs) (laughs) There's your Star Wars funeral clown. What a story, right? I promise you, Ethan was not as traumatized as he could have been. In fact, he was quite energized, and as soon as we were done, went right to his older brother to inform him everything we had talked about. So, I think he was enriched, and I hope you were too. That's all I can hope for. I do love the idea that funerals don't always have to be 100% sad events. We can inject some humor in them. We can appreciate the people that have left us in many ways. But for now, this is Aaron Odom of Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, signing off for another episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. I'll get another episode out to you in another two weeks, and I will see you at intermission. Avantum, avantum.